0: As the leading admissions management system and CRM for over 700 of the world's top international and independent schools, OpenApply supports every step of the applicant and family journey, from discovery through to inquiry, admissions and enrollment.
1: We want to share a free recording of our recent webinar on managing transitions, in which our guest, Laura Schupfer, former director of the community relations and head of admissions at the International School of Zug and Lucerne, joined us in exploring how to make transitions easier for students, parents and staff. You can access this recording by visiting the link bit.ly transitions, pronounced bit.ly forward slash
0: oatransitions. Looking beyond transitions at the wider admissions journey, we would like to invite you to register for our upcoming webinar on professionalising admissions. If you'd like to maximise efficiency and user experience while promptly and proactively meeting the demands of your admissions and marketing team, as well as the high expectation of families and parents, join us on December the 13th at 9 a.m. GMT, that's London time, by registering the link uh, bit.ly forward slash OA admissions. That's bit.ly forward slash last
1: but not least if you'd like to find out where your school's admissions process ranks compared to best practice schools and receive free recommendations on any areas for improvement we highly recommend you check out our free new admissions benchmarking tool by visiting bit.ly oa benchmark pronounced bit.ly forward slash oa benchmark Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is John McDonough, I'm your co-host and uh, Dan Taylor is in Asia, very busy uh, facilitating a variety of different conferences in South Korea and in uh, Thailand and also traveling with the uh, British uh, Ministry of Education and Trade in Cambodia. They're looking at different ways they can support schools and the Ministry of Education Cambodia. And one of the things that Dan's really excited about is their face-to-face conferences. So there's an IT director's thing piggybacking on Asia, and at the same time in South Korea. So uh, Dan will be dropping in uh, with... We're going to do a little bonus uh, podcast and kind of find out how Dan is doing. Of course, Dan has two young toddlers and he's traveling and living uh, away from Prague for a few months. So it's always nice to catch up with him. Anyway, he sends his warmest regards to everybody out there that listens to us. Well, today is an opportunity to talk to Kevin and Amy. I've had the privilege uh, of working with Kevin quite a few years ago. He was the Mm. middle school principal when I was the IT director at an international school. And Amy, I've gotten to know uh, over the last few years. Uh, Amy actually went to the same university as my daughter, and before she was going, Amy came over for dinner with Kevin, and so that was nice to have that connection. Kevin and Amy have been really busy, and maybe you see them on social media, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, with MindWell Education, and they have been supporting schools, organizations, individuals, teachers, with mindfulness, and it's just been fascinating to see how they're engaging with that and how they're supporting schools. And they've been busy traveling. But as we're going to find out, things kind of have changed because, of course, the pandemic brought new dimensions and new creative uh, challenges. So we'll talk about that. But also, I want to really spend time with Kevin and Amy and talk about mindfulness, because through COVID, I think well-being became far more prominent. Not that it was never important, but somehow everybody Mm -hmm. realized through the pandemic, that our well-being is really a critical part to having a balanced uh, life, a balanced approach to work, to life, to social, friends, family, and we really are so fortunate to have them both with us tonight. So Kevin and Amy, a warm welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks, John. It's really good to connect with you again and, and, um, and be in this space that you and Dan have created here for International School. It's really, really good to be here.
1: So, Kevin and Amy, maybe what we like to do with our guests is ask them to do kind of the 30-second, this is my life in 30 seconds. <laughs> How, because both of you are educators and you did this transition away from it. Ent- well, you're still in education, but not in the context of an international school. Kevin, you've been international school leaders for many years in Africa and Europe. Uh so you, you know, you kind of, as they say, jumped ship and decided to go and 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 uh engage with a new passion. And Amy, we want to really hear about your background and how you uh, ended up doing uh, MindWell education with Kevin. So over to you two, if you can give us a little synopsis.
2: Sure. Sure. I can do the, try to do the 30 seconds or less. I'm um, Canadian and I'm originally a high school teacher and school counselor and worked in Canada for most of my career, but then also worked in um, the Netherlands and then ended up in Prague. And Basically, it was my personal experience as a teacher and my the, some of the difficulty and challenges I had as a teacher that led me to find ways to help support myself. And that one of them was through mindfulness. And so I then started looking at ways that I could bring this to teachers and my colleagues and school and students and to schools in general. Because I thought, whoa, this is pretty helpful for my own mental health. How can I bring it in? And then I was already pursuing some of that work, and then Kevin and I met through a mutual friend and saw that we had aligned interests in education and started MindWell from there. Is that right? Yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> wow,
1: that's very impressive. And Kevin, <laughs> uh, talk a bit about why you decided to, I use the term jump ship, which oh. is really maybe not politically correct or right, (laughs) but you decided to pursue a passion that you, you know, as we work together, you brought mindfulness, and we talked a lot about it as a leadership team, and you really supported us in engaging with it, and I know both my children were in your middle school, and that was something that they still talk about today. Talk a bit about that transition.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I would say really first off that I was not in teaching until my early 30s so I, I had another career before that but always working with young people and always in the area of social and emotional development and counseling in that kind of area as a social worker and you know in school it's always been as, as principal I somehow always ended up as well as administration and teaching in the areas of dealing more directly with social and emotional aspects of learning and in a way similar to Amy I went through a, you know a, a difficult time there uh, we're just talking about a colleague, who, weren't we, who had um, difficulties in their family life and, and parents. And that happened to me all in one time. Everything came together. So that I went through a very difficult period. And in my 20s, when I went out to India, I'd been introduced to meditation and had used it and tried it out. And so at this difficult time of my life, I just found it personally really, really helpful just to find a bit of spaciousness and to process emotions in a way that I wasn't really managing as a principal. I was pretty close to burnout uh, in some ways, I think, at one time there. So, having found it really beneficial for myself, I then started to offer it to kids in the, in the school that we were working in as um, a sign up class. And then I sh- offered it to teachers who might be interested in finding out about it. And then parents asked me to do courses in it too. And kind of before I knew where I was, I was beginning to tell other schools about it too, at conferences, et cetera. <laughs> mm-hmm. First of all, I was trying to get other people to tell them, then it ended up being that I was the one to to lead the presentations. So um, then at a certain point, I mean, I just found that that was really pulling me. I really enjoyed my my career as a principal, but this was something, an, an area of myself that I just felt I wanted to develop further. And actually out of the blue, a parent from the school, the American School of the Hague, who had a business background and a meditation background, invited me to help her start a, a, a small company that tried to bring this to more schools and more parents. And actually, she later she's the same lady that um, approached Amy at a certain point <laughs> yeah. too. So that's how we kind of came together professionally. But um, yeah, I, at some point, I made that decision. You know, I mean, this is where my heart is pulling me is to work with more schools, work with adults in different contexts and trying to bring this area greater attention. And when I first started it in Prague, there really wasn't anybody doing it. I looked all around mm-hmm. the world trying to find other people in international schools. I found one colleague in, in Delhi who was doing something similar at that time. There were That's others, so but I didn't. Yeah.
1: That's interesting that there were so few. So, you know, mindfulness, you know, there are everybody has a a perception things jump in images impressions emotions and i think there's a lot of misunderstanding and and you know Mm -hmm. i know one of the creative tensions when you were bringing this about there was this thinking that it was a tie to buddhism and religion were we pushing Mm -hmm. you know is there a religion being pushed is there a spirituality and and, Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people found it difficult to really harness its meaning and what it was Could you maybe kind of tell us, you know, let's take all those trappings away and what, you know, Hmm. mindfulness, what is it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what I would say just within that context is that our focus primarily is actually on well-being and we call it awareness-based well-being because it has a mindfulness element to it. But our, our real fundamental and driving aim is can schools become places where well-being and and awareness, understanding of how does my mind work, how does my body work, how do my feelings work as a teacher or as a parent or as a as a student, you know, how can we learn more about ourselves so that we can develop into young people and, and adults who are, we say, wise as well as clever. Too much cleverness and not enough wisdom, you know, is problematic for the human species in a way. So when we're looking at balance, you mentioned that word balance. When we're looking at balance, we're thinking about physical health and well-being, mental health and well-being, social emotional health and well-being. And we really feel that schools can play a major part in conjunction with parents to help promote well-being in this way. And our particular skills have been actually in using mindful awareness to, in our own lives and then introducing it to teachers and students in ways that can support their mental health and their well-being too. But not to say that mindfulness is the answer to everything. I think that's one misconception of, you know, once you, it isn't a wonderful tool to develop in yourself, but it's not some amazing pill that solves all the world's problems. It's something we can use within the context of promoting well-being in schools and society that can be highly valuable. And maybe, Amy, do you want to just say a bit about what, fundamental of it is that you want
2: me to carry on Uh, mindfulness yeah well I think you can add to it for sure but for me it is you mentioned it already it's this idea of awareness awareness of you know who I am what I'm doing what I'm thinking and helping to um, help us to have more awareness of what we're doing so that we're not reacting to situations but we're responding consciously to what's going on around us and you can Mm -hmm. see how useful that could be In school in terms of communicating so Mm. if we want to be really really practical for example and i'll just try to use a a, a school example about listening how important listening is right well when you can apply mindful awareness to listening Mm. that can enhance how we are communicating with each other Mm. so it's just bringing awareness to like you know how am i doing right now what are the thoughts that are coming in how is this impacting my behavior um, so really it's just about, I keep coming back to awareness because mm. for me, that's, it's like a, a raising of, of consciousness, uh, yeah.
0: which is, interesting. Moment, is very Much a big part of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is that you're using the word awareness, which I think is a very, uh, accessible word. It's mm. to me, it's not, you know, loaded with agendas or anything. It's just being in the moment, being present. But what mm. I like too, that you're both saying is that, what are we doing to support parents, teachers and students to have that downtime where they have time to be aware where they are, or what they're feeling? And I think, you know, mm-hmm. in the world that we live with this 24 frictionless connectivity, the busyness, you know, kids going to piano, then to soccer and then, you know, the IB or whatever exams they're doing. There are just a lot of pressures. It feels sometimes like you're in a hamster wheel and it's just go, go, mm-hmm. go. And that's what's so interesting, I think, which resonates, and I think that sometimes people don't understand, is that it's really just coming to terms with a self-awareness and giving yourself the luxury of being aware. Now, Mindful Mm -hmm. Education is the organization that you've created. So you're working with schools, in giving them these, talk a bit about, you know, what is your approach as mind well Education? Because you're working mm. with a lot of schools around the world and school leaders. And yeah,
0: educators. I think our emphasis has yeah. always been on, on the teachers first, that, that it's not about suddenly introducing a new program or a 10 minute session or a mindful moment in a day. It's actually about teachers having the time and space to take a breath, to learn how to develop self-care in really meaningful ways. Amy always says self-care is not just a bubble bath, it's much more meaningful than that, you know. And so we try to introduce it in a practical, down-to-earth way to busy teachers, in the sense that here is something that we can spend a little time with, that if you invest a little bit of your energy in, it can actually give you quite substantial benefits in terms of how you approach your life, but also your teaching. So you don't have to suddenly start teaching kids mindfulness. What you can do is bring this awareness to yourself, develop simple techniques to help ground and anchor you. So there is physiological interventions. Awareness of the body is the prime foundation here. That's where we start. It's not about the mind, especially at the beginning. It's actually about connecting with the body and and noticing what's happening inside as well so that we can respond to, to tension and stress as well and to manage it. So this is the the fundamental thing that we really think this has a lot of potential for busy teachers and busy parents, as you're describing there. That we can start with ourselves first here.
2: Yeah, and as you mentioned, the framework we use is this idea of awareness based well being, where mindfulness helps to support our social emotional learning skills, and those are really where we can uh, work on our inter and intrapersonal skills. And then with mindfulness in particular, we, have our, we use the framework of the three aspects of mindfulness in education, which are being mindful, teaching mindfully, and teaching mindfulness. Sort of a scaffolded kind of framework where we're using the being mindful first as a way of mental and emotional and physical self-care. And then we see, based on our own personal experiences, when we were using mindfulness for ourselves, we saw how it impacted the classroom. And it's really this area of teaching mindfully where we see one of the biggest impacts in the classroom actually mm-hmm. in helping both the teacher and also the students, even without even mentioning the word mindfulness to young people, if the teacher themselves is uh, the teacher themselves is uh, working on and cultivating their own awareness and their own consciousness, that actually impacts the classroom in really positive ways so we spend a lot of time in our training on teaching mindfully um, mm-hmm. and and how can you bring in these ideas of whether it's a pause, or Kevin said, calming or grounding, how can you actually do that practically in a school day, right? Mm-hmm. When you're up there teaching, like, how can you actually do that? And that's what we're trying to bridge is these things, you know, perhaps these practices that you might do breathing or walking practices that you might do at home alone. How can we bridge that and see how it, it actually can be useful and woven into the school day? And, and then beyond
0: so, that. To... Yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. please. Oh, just to say that. It's not that we don't teach the teaching of mindfulness for students as well. We do, but we focus especially on, first of all, using it in our own lives and that way that impacts the way that we work and teach. And then we provide many practical ways in for teachers who've begun to develop that for themselves to bring it then in meaningful ways to, to students, you know, in, in fun, interesting ways that, that can really begin to change a little bit the culture of the classroom. But that takes time to develop, to get to that stage.
1: What's really interesting that you're both saying is that you're focusing on the teacher first because there's an impact, then almost a larger impact on the students than if you were focusing on the students because that teacher, if they're a secondary teacher, they might be teaching a hundred different kids. And And so let's get really granular here. Amy, you talked about uh, teaching mindful, not teaching mindfulness, but teaching mindfully. Mm-hmm. Give me an example. Is there something concrete? And I don't want you to give away your trade secrets. This is not the no, we don't this have trade
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> or anything, but I'm just something that, you know, people could just one thing that maybe people could, our listeners could say, oh, I get that, that I could do. Not that, you know, that then they don't contact you, but I just I think something concrete because What's different is like learning mindfulness, but you're saying say teaching mindfully. And that yeah. to me is an interesting concept. Mm.
2: Yeah. Okay. Can I, I'll start maybe. Yeah. So, you know, as you're talking there, and I think of teaching mindfully, like what is it for me? So so successful teaching, we fundamentally believe, is, is based on positive relationships, right? You can only, young people are only going to learn if they have a positive relationship with the adult or the teacher in their life. So it requires then the teachers to be aware of that, first of all, and then to be able to be pleasant and positive and communicative and supportive all day, every day with their, you know, however many students they have, which is a tall ask, right? That is a big order to be managing your own body, mind, emotions, but then also the 30 students you have in your class, right? Mm-hmm. All these little relationships. So in teaching mindfully, the best examples I can give are from my own life is when I taught high school, right? And I, I taught some students who might have been a little more uh, enthusiastic than others, I should say, and enthusiastic maybe about not wanting to be there. <laughs> and so what I had to manage is if I had certain students who were challenging me or um, annoying me, right? Let's be human. Sometimes you're gonna, ha- you know, you're gonna be triggered by some people. Some students. So I wouldn't, first of all, notice in myself, okay, for example, that student is starting to drive me crazy. And I know that. And I noticed that. And I actually had one student who was quite rude to me. And in that moment, right? So all of a sudden, I've got my, and Kevin talked earlier about physiology. All of a sudden, I've got my um, stress and adrenaline that starts to shoot up because this student was being quite rude. And fierce. So in the split second, I have to be able to manage this situation, not only between me and this student, but in front of the 29 other students, while also maintaining integrity and not uh, causing harm to my young people, to him or the other people, you know, students in the class. So I have to be able to notice what's happening to me and my adrenaline is coursing through my body. What I want to do naturally is to fight back. That's my the physiological reaction that's coming up. But i ha the awareness I have is okay, I notice my my head is getting hot, I'm about to speak my my tension is coming up in my shoulders, so I see that happening, and the mindfulness my own mindfulness practice has helped me to notice when I'm starting to go into this fight or flight mode basically, mm. and I have to then bring myself down. I have in the, in, mm. um, our friend calls it the emotional elevator, like noticing the emotional elevator going up and I've got to keep it on the ground floor mm. so that I can manage the situation in a way that is still has boundaries. Right. But that is, as I said earlier, not causing harm to others.
0: And, and a big part of that is, is the actual training of the attention to notice physical sensations, to be aware of oh. thoughts when the Thoughts, when we're triggered, like Amy's describing, they can build and build a situation, spiral it, you know, and make it more difficult to manage. And But when we notice, okay, what's happening in the body physically, it gives us a chance just to step out of that reactivity that the brain, the brain is kind of fueling and come back to a more grounded presence. So just simple techniques where you feel your feet, notice the the breathing in the body or whatever it is that helps you to be grounded you practice these when you're calm in order to apply them in those tricky situations. So these are very practical skills that pe- yeah. anybody can learn. So, so that
2: I don't, in that example, like escalate the situation by creating the exactly. confrontation,
0: but exactly. that I
2: maintain the authority that I have as a teacher, but also keep the relationship intact. So still have boundaries and still have discipline, but in a way that is respectful to
1: myself and the students in the class. And what greater model for kids to see that, that they, 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 you know, all the kids know who the troublemaker is or who's maybe engaging you in that flight and fright mode, and that you have that calm reaction and you're collected and the voice stays calm. That's a very powerful message and yeah. uh, modeling for children, I think, you know, because yeah. very likely they tend to react or learn from the way we behave, especially teachers when we spend so much time with them. And we have much more of an impact on them than sometimes we realize.
0: Exactly that, that's what we, one of the third aspects of teaching mindfully is the, the possibility to have more of an impact on individual students who may need something more from you. Kids have programmed to tune in to all certain aspects of a, of a teacher's personality and character because of human learning, always through relationship and with adults. So what well, the teacher may have in mind the curriculum, but on the kids, at least on a subconscious level, if they notice somebody not taking anger personally, that may for some kids be, whoa, that's interesting. You know, I, I want to see what's going on there. So that, that yeah, yeah. The begin back then.
2: Yeah. And I'll that's, just say, uh, Jerry, yeah. when you said the thing about, um, you know, modeling we're, what we're modeling, our friend and colleague, Chris Willard, who does also this kind of work, he says that. You know the best way to create stressed out kids is to surround them with stressed out adults, right?
0: Yes,
1: but yeah. absolutely but, no. I mean, you see that in children, and when they're stressed, there's usually something happening at home, or if there's challenges mm-hmm. or social emotional. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's, I, the, I, that's sorry to
2: interrupt, John, but sorry just to say though, and the the counter to that though is that the best way to create calm, caring, compassionate kids is to surround them with calm caring and compassionate
1: adults and that's again yes. why we sort of keep coming back to teachers
2: mm-hmm. in
1: this. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes absolute sense and and you know in the heat of the moment when you have 30 kids and you're teaching them you really have to have some strategies and be disciplined to kind of you know as you mm-hmm. say the emotional elevator to make sure you're you're still staying at the ground floor. So yeah. this is something that you go and work with teachers and schools And uh, you also wrote a book, right? And which you are promoting two books now. That's right, sorry, I stand corrected. Are those books uh, something that a teacher would want to grab? And then, you know, I mean, of course it would be best to do some courses and things, but is the idea of the book, uh, you know, is it a self-help book or is it more a strategy guide? Is it a point of reference? Talk a bit about the approach of both books, which actually, just for our audience, they're in the show notes. So when you go to the show notes, mm-hmm. you'll see the books and the website. So make sure you spend some time in the show notes because you can really unpack some of these resources. So and I tell us a bit discount. about the books.
2: And there's yeah. also a discount code there, too, in the
1: show notes. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Discount yeah. code. We We're love discount, get a discount codes. Everybody, I mean, <laughs> f- even our sponsor gives a discount code. So this is great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yes, so the first tell point, us. Yeah mindful teacher mindful school is really along some of the, the lines of this discussion we've been having so far it's a way of introducing teachers to this area putting it in a in a grounded kind of practical context you know dealing with issues of is this buddhism you know I, that was a great question you brought up from the beginning some of this stuff is drawn from buddhist traditions because the psychology of Buddhism has been so developed over centuries in learning how to not be overreactive and learning to understand how does my mind work. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's not Buddhism. It's not a religion. It's just good psychology that's been scientifically verified. That's where we're, we're drawing this from. And, and so it's very accessible for schools in the way. So the, the first book really makes that point and, and sets out the broad picture of how this can be used and our approach to bringing it to schools in different contexts around the world.
2: Can I add something from the first book too? Yeah. And there's also included in that is also a section on mindfulness-based social-emotional learning, which which really looks at this connection of SEL and mindfulness yeah. that we did. And there's also a few exercises in there as well that you can do, like that listening thing I mentioned. We have a whole yeah. um, activity, I guess you would say, but more sort of scaffolded activity around listening in there. Yeah. And then the second book, yeah, yeah, the second book, The Mindful Teacher's Toolkit, really actually is um, a combination of actual practical lessons and um, activities and practices that you can do with students anywhere from ages four through to 18. Mm -hmm. And so we've shown basically for each of those for the um, primary and secondary middle school as well as the early years, we show how would you introduce this to these age groups? Mm. So we show in uh, developmentally appropriate ways how we'd introduce it. And then more than that, what we have is really, we look at the the intro and conclusion is we're situating this and we give in in the context of the wider world, like why are we doing this, right? It's not Mm -hmm. just a list of lesson plans, although there's some quite good ones in there, if Mm -hmm. I do say so myself, if you're interested in bringing this to your students but why are we doing this what's the point why why do we have these activities what's it all about Yeah. so really the first the first book and the second book when they're combined is those three aspects of mindfulness in Excellent. education being mindful teaching mindfully and teaching mindfulness mm-hmm. in the three books yeah Excellent.
1: two books sorry there's only two maybe it's supposed to be third <laughs> maybe there's a third coming you never know right <laughs> maybe so one of the things that uh, you you were doing this before COVID, and you you were working with schools, and when COVID came about, you know there was suddenly I'm going to say well being became hip, and, and not in a I, maybe that's the wrong term, but suddenly everybody's talking about well being, especially mm-hmm. because people were isolated, they were online at home, and a lot of things start coming out. Very likely a lot of these social emotional. Issues were underlying already there, but maybe COVID kind of accentuated them or amplified them. Did you notice yourself, you know, prior and then during COVID, did you see that development or are you noticing something? Because I think everybody thought, oh, COVID brought about well being. But I, I know, mm. and you mentioned a previous mm. uh, guest that we had on was saying, no, hold on, this has been going on for a long time. It's just yeah. that COVID may be amplified. What are your thoughts? I'd really he- love to hear from yeah, both yeah. of you about that.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, um, Helen Kelly made some very important points in, in the podcast she did with you you know, about the the fact that the need for greater well-being is being around well before COVID and the recognition of it to a degree was was growing. Certainly, I think what was prompting it pre-COVID was increasing concern about the mental health of young people. There's so much research and so much anecdotal. We've all had these experiences of young people who've been severely struggling with anxiety and depression. And it's, it's really hit the roof at university level and, and even down to primary school level uh, mm-hmm. in the last 10, 15 years or more. So that was already fueling concern. And I think you're right, COVID then opened the door to say, oh my gosh, you know, what, look what can happen when we don't take care of ourselves and you know there was a little bit of a first relief of being home to begin with for some people i think that soon faded but just the sense of taking a pause and, you know slowing down and being less busy for a while was also something that some people took a lot from so the the fact is that it's opened up a door i feel i and in some countries now we do a lot of work with different nat- we're working with some um uh, psychologists from South America recently in a peace foundation, and like they were saying for example in Mexico uh, now it 's expected that well being and social emotional learning are taught in the school oh interesting but what is happening is that there 's not necessarily a great deal of understanding of of really practical and powerful ways to do that teaching very often it 's added to the curriculum without any preparation for the teacher, and oh. it doesn 't have- mindfulness it can be social emotional aspects of learning but the same thing applies if you want to help kids become more socially emotionally aware and mature then you have to touch into that for yourself mm-hmm. to begin with so you have to first of all be practicing a little bit with your own social emotional capacities be on that journey and then bring it into how you are and then begin to bring it uh, in a mindful way to to young people that makes sense for them so I think that makes the connection the to,
1: that makes a, con- a connection to this idea of teaching mindfully because you mm, yes. really emphasize that and Kevin it sounds like that the you know what you're sharing in this anecdote is that the focus was not enough on the teachers first
0: yeah and there was a major piece of research done in the UK recently which was an attempt to see if you bring a good mindfulness program into schools that's been proven through research to For work students. well for students yeah. yeah and then you kind of ramp it up in a you know in a well organized way will that have a powerful effect and the actual answer was you know for some people quite surprised no there wasn't a, a big effect seen on students because of again of the way that it was introduced as a top down initiative let's make everybody do this in schools yeah it's actually not going to work it depends on individual teachers finding a way into this for themselves finding value in it Sharing it with colleagues, and then it's recognized by you know an enlightened leader who understands the value of this, and then it can begin to grow. But it has to be in an organic way, not in a sudden "let's all do mindfulness" way.
1: But so there ha- right? Yeah. So there has yes. to be an intrinsic connection to it for the teacher. They have to internalize it and use it before it really has impact on the students.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think, as Amy was about to say, yes. And that same research did show very positively that while the teachers were training to do this for themselves, it impacted their own health and well-being. And it also, even they could measure a detectable level of uh, improvement in school climate and in school leadership in the schools that were doing this. It didn't last if the teachers weren't continuing to practice this for themselves, but it was quite a tangible, improvement and we've seen that in other research as well by working with the teachers, it impacts the classroom atmosphere and the school atmosphere.
1: That's fascinating. And that's so interesting that the the idea that if you have a bunch of kids doing mindfulness, actually, it doesn't have an impact, you know, I'm just kind of watering down the research, but that's so interesting. So when you uh, approach a school or a school leadership team, I assume usually you're working with leadership teams to get them, you know, to think about this, what are some of the hurdles that you often face when you bring this topic up? And, you know, people are like, well, yeah, interested, but we don't have time. Or where am I going to fit this? What are some of the things that you're facing or that you think this idea of uh, awareness and mindful thinking, what are some of the blockages you, you confront and that you have to work through to get them mm-hmm. to, you know, commit to your program? hmm.
2: Can you think about that just for one second? And that's such an awesome question. But I'm just gonna go back for one second because I think I heard you say that well, the mindfulness for the young people then doesn't work. And I I I just want to clarify that a little bit. Mm. In this particular study, it didn't work in terms of the way that it was ramped up in schools so quickly without the teachers okay, having
1: thank you. their own
2: practice. So this is not to say that mindfulness does not work for young people. It was just in this particular yeah. study. And there have been other studies that have been done, and we could also link some of the research to the for the that viewers and listeners. Yeah. yeah. But that where it does have a measurable impact when, for example, I'm thinking of the study, the Harvard-based study with the middle mm. schoolers, that when they're these middle schoolers were practicing mindfulness for a uh, um Uh, eight-week period and that there were measurable aspects about their attention being more focused and about um, self-compassion and that kind of stuff so it can work for young people but there has to be probably a lot of care around how it's taught Mm. for there to Mm. be an impact for
1: them
0: yeah so I just wanted
1: to thank you for that Uh, clarification Amy
0: I think one of the biggest things that's again similar to Helen Helen Kelly was was making that point this isn't about Little tiny changes in the curriculum. I mean, yes, so there's a program we can suggest people bring in and how to bring it in. And it is a beginning. <coughs> but we're really talking about bringing greater awareness to the systemic areas of school life as well. You know, what's happening in a school that prevents children developing into mature, balanced beings? What what is not helping the well-being of the school community in general? This is a much bigger question. And we're talking, when we talk about awareness, we're talking about, yes, we start with self-awareness, but then we're bringing it into relationship with others, understanding people that we know and people that we don't know from other cultures and other places. And then understanding the environment, the world we live in, the systems in which we operate, bringing awareness to those areas. That's all very much a part of this. So I think one problem with um, leadership when they first hear of this is to think, oh, you're gonna give us a program that will make our kids or our teachers more mindful. Yeah, kind of, but that's not exactly what we're saying here. It's getting the, the, the bigger concept in that let's begin to look through a lens of well-being. If When leaders do see this, it's very powerful, I feel. Looking through what I say like the lens of well-being means understanding that well-being is key and central and actually can be a natural and legitimate core of the job of schools. If you see it alongside academic achievement, which is also, of course, important, that the well being of of, of our young people that we're helping develop is actually key to how they're going to live their lives. So, in that sense, we're talking about schools becoming more centers for human development, not just for academic achievement. So, bringing in social emotional aspects of learning, bringing in mindful awareness where the subjective Experience of the learner is already a radical change from just studying the objective world. These, you know, these are subtle but powerful changes that when leaders really begin to get it, they that can take them a long way in, 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 in beginning to see how they can open up learning in their school. The problem often is, as you know yourself as a leader, we don't often have time for this. You know, we might yeah. understand the value of it, but actually I don't have time to do it for myself yeah. because I'm too busy, you know, yeah. the way the last one slow down for a minute and take a breath
1: every (laughs) day. Yeah, absolutely. So So when when you meet a school leader or a school reaches out to you, do you do kind of an audit, a well-being audit? Is that something? Do you kind of go to the school or maybe uh, interact with them online just to get a sense of what might be those creative tensions that is challenging them?
0: Yeah, exactly. And these days, there's so many well-developed surveys in this area. I mean, we've done our own, but now I think we're finding there's international uh, organizations that do this specifically really well too. But we, yes, very often we will start with the students and we'll have um, panels of, of students and sit with them, especially the older ones, but it, it depends how you structure it for younger ones too, and ask them directly about well-being in this environment. You know, sometimes, for example, students have told us, Yeah, there's a lot of my friends who have uh, mental health problems, um, but they never go to the counsellor about it. And we say, okay, so why is that? Well, the counsellors used to do personal counselling, but these days they only do um, career counselling, college counselling. And the same person that is going to write my reference paper for me for going to college is the person I'm supposed to tell that actually I'm not feeling very well at the moment. And so there's a barrier. So, for that was an immediate recommendation to the school create some you know some little boundaries for kids so that they know these people they can go to at certain times for their own mental health, so starting with that surveying of students and teachers and parents uh that's a really fundamental approach,
2: yeah, and knowing the context of the school that's inviting us, like getting to know them and their needs and why you know why are they asking us, and what what is it about? The school or their teachers or students that you know is is um resulting in them giving us a call like so it really is very context specific about what's going on
1: in the schools yeah yeah have and, you and noticed he's... have you noticed so you talk to students and teachers are and you work not only in international schools you work with organizations you're talking about this peace organization in south america have you and noticed a...
0: yeah, from countries yes
1: A pattern is there are you noticing a pattern in international schools with teachers and students that's maybe not cultural but cross international is there a a message that's coming out is there a pattern of what kids and teachers are saying that you're noticing or have noticed in
0: in terms of you mean in terms of um stress levels and well-being.
1: well-being, you know, as as which what I loved was that anecdote of the student saying, "Well, I do not want to go and talk to the counselor because they have to write my reference for Warwick University, and I'm feeling depressed and blah blah." blah. And they're like, mm. "No, I don't want them to know that." So, what mm. are the students and teachers telling you when you do these kind of well-being audits or just yeah. you know, compass yeah. Yeah. points?
2: I think absolutely. If I can speak from the teacher point of view, whatever teachers we're engaging with around the world in whatever kind of school it is. in general in education they are very stressed out overworked burnt out and and lots of them are leaving the profession and that is common mm. uh, i find that um because i just for so many reasons but because of the social relate social aspect of teaching as I was mentioning earlier the idea of being in relationship with 30 plus students a day and all your colleagues requires something very profound it's a caring profession right the the teaching is a caring profession Mm -hmm. so that um stress and burden that's on a teacher when what they want to do and why they got into teaching is because they want the relationships with the young people and they 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 most teachers we meet feel like they have a vocation. Like I'm here to do something really important. This is who I am. But all the other things get in the way mm. of the actual relationship with the young people, the, you know, the curriculum requirements, the marking requirements, evaluations, assessments, the, all the extra things that take away from the fundamental connection of heart to heart connection when you're teaching is impacting their ability to do the job they want to do and that is causing them stress. Mm. One thing, one aspect yeah. of it, I would say. Yeah. But then do you want to say the parent thing that's common? That when we see parents and ask it's... parent. No, go ahead. I don't
0: know what you're talking about. Oh Yeah. You're you're have to tell me, me and then go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: just wanted to say one of like when we go into schools around the world, um, uh, one thing that we do often with teachers and parents mm. is we will, you know, we do an introduction about, you know, schools and the wider world and why we're doing this work but then we also ask this idea of like look what do we really want right yeah, that's exactly what that. now yeah you do, yeah. It. You do it
0: like yeah exactly i mean we we we, we mm-hmm. say imagine you imagine a child bring a child to mind and maybe people even listening could do this mm-hmm. right now you know mm-hmm. it can be a child of your own if you have one or it could be a uh, a child that you teach it could be a relative but just you know get the clear image in your head of of, of a child So we let that come to our mind's eye for a moment this is not a mindfulness activity this is just a reflection and then with that image clearly in your mind just see what comes up for you when i ask you what do you want for this child what do you want for this child and you may have lots of different ideas bubbling up but just see if one word or phrase might Come to the surface when I ask you to just reflect again. What is it that you really, really want for this child? And so people's ideas come up. Do you, John, do you have an? What, what is it? One thing that would come to the top of your mind if you're thinking what you really want on a deep level for your children? To be happy. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So happiness, safety, security, uh, success can be something Confidence. as well. Confidence. Uh, to to have love, to have good relationships, yes. to really be themselves. So, so wherever we go, Chinese parents, uh, rich area, poor area, different cultures, different countries, almost the same list comes up. Nobody oh, says, right.
1: "I yeah, want my yeah. child
0: to go to Harvard." I mean, they tell teachers that every day. But <laughs> when you ask people on a level, "What is it we want for our children?" We're all agreed. These deeper qualities that we really want for our kids. And I wow. think some schools do a really good job in their mission statements of getting you know those things some of those things in there but then is the day-to-day experience of the kids getting closer and closer to helping bring those things alive for children yeah yeah, we want for our children so coming back to that you know what is the purpose of school why are we here i know there's a lot of external demands things that we can't change sometimes but actually what is it we're doing here why are we spending this time together how can we make it more meaningful what can we let go of as well as, you know, what do we take on? Those are really key fundamental questions. And, you know, it's it's not to say, and that's another misconception, that we're going to teach your teachers in the school how to take care of themselves so they can do a better job in impossible situations yeah. where systemic yeah, yeah. pressures are great. Yeah. It isn't that. it is. We do teach self-management skills so you can function Stress more effectively. Yeah. But, yeah, but actually, once you get that awareness building, you also start to say, well, why am I so stressed? Where is that coming from? Where can we reduce stress and for myself or the kids? You know, it builds a greater awareness and a questioning. And that's what we really want is collaboratively school leaders and parents and teachers and kids questioning, you know, what can help me be well in the world at school and at home? And how can we take practical steps to get there? fantastic and that's just
1: so interesting that you have this anecdote you've been to multiple different cultures and different places and when you really give the invite parents to reflect and think deeply they're all coming out and that harvard and whatever oxford don't come up because often that's the narrative that teachers hear you know or you have the kindergarten parent says what are you going to do to get my kid to harvard and that's (laughs) fascinating so, yes. you you know, naturally, you have to go and sell this, right? You mind mindful education is people are not they might be knocking on your door. But I, I imagine that there is some capacity. How how are you trying to get people hooked on this idea? Because it's very compelling. I've just spent, you know, 40 minutes with you and I'm kind of sold. But not mm-hmm. everybody has 40 minutes and this dedicated mm-hmm. time. What are some of the strategies that you're trying to get people to understand so you get that
0: engagement? Mm. Well, well, the two books is a, you know, is a good thing because people can just pick them up and see you know what, what we're about, what we're thinking. And then we started to run um, online courses um, for educators. We do, we do things like educator retreats where it's a workshop weekend and, and sort it's an introductory kind of thing. But for people who begin to notice this is something they'd like to find out a lot more about, the courses that we're doing online are really beginning to open up that space for people. And our intention is to actually start to make them um, available a, uh, as videos as well. No, I mean, we still want that contact with people, but because finding the time for teachers is so difficult, we you know, our, our course is at the moment 36 hours long, spread over three weekends over three months. But what we'd love is for people to access them in different ways so that we get them a good recording of it and then we have some live sessions with groups in between that's that's our fa- preferred way to actually bring it to people I yeah
2: i think cuz when we're able to spend time with teachers that is can be really rich that mm. that community we have on a training is 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 really rich because of the sharing that we do and we're setting up conditions where teachers can share and practice together and create that community and it's it's in that where a lot of the learning happens Mm -hmm. and also i think part of our success has come from the fact that we're teachers ourselves i think when a lot of like experts come into the school Mm -hmm. they're you know sometimes they're not educators themselves and because we're educators because we're speaking from our own personal experience i think that authenticity has allowed um, for our work to be successful. And then a lot of times it's word of mouth. Um, yeah. But I would say one thing I want to say on the books that you mentioned, sometimes what schools have done is they've done book clubs with our books, especially oh, the first. Nice. So that if some teachers are kind of interested, like what's this about? Then a few interested teachers will do a book club mm. on that mindful teacher, mindful school yeah. book. And that kind of piques the interest a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then because like the books, been translated the first one was was already in German then there's there's a few organizations in Germany and Switzerland who are providing this kind of experience for teachers Mm -hmm. who then get us to teach on their courses and now the books are about to be translated into Chinese and Japanese as well so and Polish so in that way we we, we've been doing quite a bit of work in China and Japan was now going to pick up as well when the book comes out later this year too
1: so one thing we got to chat about just before we start recording was we were talking about, uh, you know, you were traveling a lot, going to schools, you know, globetrotting and, and really engaging with different schools, but physically being there. And then you had to kind of switch to the online Mm. Do you find after that experience now you're kind of combining both? Do you think that online experience kind of amplified this idea? Because what you're saying about you have the videos and then the courses and then the physical presence, that sounds more like a hybrid package. Did COVID kind of, was that the silver lining maybe in some ways?
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
2: I think like so many other people during the pandemic, that COVID, you know, forced our hand to like, okay, how can, we, how can we still reach people and still do the work? And we were really pleasantly surprised mm. that, you know, we had to do some um, maneuvering and really thinking about how can we deliver this online, like, like so many other people. But, and it worked. Being able to create these even retreat spaces yeah. or, um, you know, meaningful spaces where you're doing mindfulness practice together and sharing and dialoguing in a meaningful way mm. that we could do it. In their little Zoom boxes, you know, but was, it, it it did work.
0: It was the biggest surprise, in a sense, how well that could work. I mean, it's still still better to be on a, in a in a building together with people in, in many yeah, ways. Naturally, yeah, but right. the fact, we could have people from all around the world, yeah. And sometimes through a translator as well when we're doing this in, in German or whatever. But that, you know, when you, what what you're trying to do on those occasions is you're trying to build a sense of communicate and uh, space, shared space, a bit of calm area. And people to really connect with each other and themselves, and then you're trying to apply that in a in a, in in their school settings. How could I bring this yeah. into my setting? And then we are then teaching. Let's try out in a safe way how I could bring this to my kids. You know, that's how it gets to by the end. So what was surprising that all that could still be felt as a rich, rewarding experience to mm-hmm. people, even through Zoom. Yeah.
1: And that's what's interesting is that you say you use the word felt, you know, they could feel that experience, which often doesn't, you know, you think, oh, well, Zoom, there's no feelings. But having done a lot of Zooms Mm. with Nancy and The Loft, we definitely, I mean, there was a community and people were hungry if, you know, you structured it in a way where people could share and be open and, you know, kind of show their vulnerabilities sometimes in, in a safe space. And you often bring that word safe space. Do you yeah. think that's also important in the physical space that schools create those safe spaces?
0: Yeah, I think that's a key thing. I think we had a teacher from Turkey just last weekend telling us that in her school they have an area for teachers, which is I forget exactly what they call it, but nobody else can. No, you, you can't bug me. It's like a no bug area, bug free zone. Nobody can bug me when I'm actually in in this area. So nice. that can be really. Cool. They, uh, they, oh wow! So how interesting you know, the, the peace area, the, cor- the calm corner. corner for kids is now quite tried and trusted in helping to build conflict resolution strategies, self-calming strategies that our kids need to learn more and more with, the, you know, the amount of time we spend on screens. We're, we're sometimes losing that ability to self-soothe and self-regulate so kids can learn those and apply them in a, in a physical and, and, space like oh, that.
2: Sorry. And I would add too that, you know, even if you've got a dedicated space for teachers or a dedicated space in your classroom for that calm corner peace corner Kevin was talking about we also believe that the classroom itself Mm -hmm. the school itself that is that is the safe space and it comes down to again coming back to the point from earlier but the relationship we're creating with our young people why are they here is going to school exciting for them we we drove by this morning some kids getting on a school bus and you know, we've no idea what's going on in their lives, right? But we saw one young guy with his backpack on, maybe like seven years old, and he's like hunched over and slowly shuffling towards the bus. And we were like, oh, that poor guy doesn't feel like going to school, you know? And wouldn't it be <laughs> wonderful if, wouldn't it be wonderful if kids are clamoring to get on the school bus, like, oh, I want to go. And, and that is up to the adults to be able to create that space, atmosphere, school culture, climate of comfort and safety and excitement
0: and part of that <laughs> is through embodiment you know when yeah. that's what we you know when we can bring literally our embodiment our sense of being physically present in the room when we can you know that that seems to have a calming effect on the human mind as well you know and give you a little bit more time and space that's also been shown in some of the research programs on teachers too that they develop a kind of a lower sense of time pressure and that the day oh. opens up a little bit more and they learn to season the day with moments for kids as well, where we're just going to slow down a bit. It doesn't mean you have to do a mindfulness activity. You could do a short movement or a physical thing, or just the way the teacher changes the the pace and tone of the, of the class. You, you're orchestrating the classroom environment in a way that creates a sense of safety and emotional safety and of space.
2: It can be as simple as like, you know, I remember being t- like when I was in the classroom and My students would come in and I know all the things I need to get through in that, you know, 90 minutes I have with them or 76 minutes, whatever I had with them. And it's so much, but I learned to just like let that go for a minute and let my students arrive physically and emotionally, like arrive to the class. They've just come from like AP biology or something or whatever, you know, just come in and take those few minutes to be human with them. It sounds so like common sense, but we can get lost as teachers in like covering the curriculum, getting ready, them ready for the test, got to get this organized. And if you take that time to set the stage and the atmosphere for a classroom that is comfortable, still rigorous, but comfortable, just by asking them, how are you doing? Why was biology so crazy? So I would take five minutes at the beginning and that would allow us to just get on the same page You know, and sometimes the students would want to talk longer and I'd be like, no, now it's time to get to our work. But there's a moment of recognition recognition of like, you're a busy human, I'm a busy human, let's stop for a second.
1: And And that's a great way, uh, you know, in this polarized world with all the things that are happening and when you look at the future and the challenges that we face, be it climate change, geopolitical, there are just so many things going on. Uh, it's yeah, just being able to stop and giving that strategy to kids and and teachers to say, yeah, we're going to stop for two minutes and just talk. I just think that's so important. Kevin and Amy, mm-hmm. our time is up, but I can't thank you enough. This is I'm just feeling relaxed right now, <laughs> just you know, talking to you and and really being aware of that. And I and I just really want to encourage our listeners do pop by the show notes. There are two books and you can find out more about Mind Well Education. And uh, thank you. And I think, you know, you both really talked about the safe space, the emotional safe space. And I think we can't as educators uh, emphasize that enough. And for ourselves, what are we doing to create a safe space for ourselves? A safe mm-hmm. emotional space. And once we do that, then maybe we're better prepared to support our students. And I really like that message is, you know, Uh, fix yourself before you go and fix somebody else, not that fixing is required, but it's the idea Mm -hmm. that really spend the time with yourself. And I just want to thank both of you for your time and the work that you're doing, because I know uh, many people that I know have had your courses, and it's always very positive. And you come with so much heart and integrity and uh, want to thank you for the work that you're both doing. And thank you for being on the
0: podcast. Thank you, John, and, and thanks to you and, and Dan for creating this space, a really yeah. valuable space. For what a pleasure. Educators. So fantastic work.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody.